0: This episode of The Detox Podcast is brought to you by Rebel Riot Printing. Celebrating their 10th year in business, Rebel Riot is locally owned and family operated, offering custom printed tees with no minimums and fast turnaround. And by Bitsbox. Bitsbox teaches kids to code. Real JavaScript, real devices, and really fun. Hands down the most fun way for curious kids ages 6 to 14 to learn coding. Use promo code DETOX for $20 off any subscription order of $50 or more. That's D-T-A-L-K-S Detox for $20 off any order of $50 or more with BitsBox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a parenting podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with Detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, Brian McLaren, author Brian McLaren, comes back to the show to discuss his latest book, The Galapagos Islands, A Spiritual Journey. This book was absolutely fantastic. Brian and I get into the intricacies of the book, what led to him to write the book, his whole spiritual journey while he was in the Galapagos Islands. Now he details that, as well as a few other interesting theological discussions. I think you're really going to enjoy it, so stick around, we'll be right up after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is author and theologian extraordinaire, Mr. Brian McLaren. Brian, how are you doing today?
1: I'm happy to be with you, (laughs) Joe. Great to be back. (laughs) Uh,
0: Brian, I want to dig into a a lot of different topics. I know we're here to talk about the book, uh, The Galapagos Islands A Spiritual Journey, which is a fantastic book, by the way. I've not been to the Galapagos Islands, but I was able to live vicariously through you uh, in the book and then also added it to the top of my bucket list as well. So that's good. (laughs)
1: Um, Uh, Well, that makes me feel great (laughs) Good
0: And there's also a couple of other topics I want to go over as well Um, But first of all, before we really dive in I want to know, what have you, uh, besides writing the book What have you been up to since uh, you were last on the show earlier this year Back in February?
1: Oh, man well, I've just been kind of losing around, wasting my time, to tell you the <laughs> truth. But no, I, I wish. I, I It's been a really, really busy uh, period of time. Uh, two big new things in my life. Um, I uh, have uh, been friends with Richard Rohr. You may be familiar with Father Richard, a uh, Franciscan priest um, and founder of the Center for Action and Contemplation. We've been friends for about 20 years, and this year I've— uh, Uh, kind of officially come on uh, the faculty for the Living School and uh, part of the Center for Action and Contemplation family. So that's very, very exciting. Yeah, Uh, And that's a new responsibility, new opportunity, and uh, wonderful group of people. And then um, I'm taking on a political project between now and November of 2020. I'm um, working uh, part-time with an organization called Vote Common Good. And Vote Common Good is trying to help Uh, Candidates do a better job uh, of reaching out to religious voters, especially more politically progressive candidates. Sure. And helping uh, religious voters make a connection uh, with uh, policies that are good for everybody, not just for one. Sure. uh, For the common good project. And then the which is called Faith After Doubt. And I've been just having an amazing uh, writing experience with that. And that'll be out in January of 2021. Perfect.
0: So uh, staying relatively yeah. um, uh, low key, I hear. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then on top of that, lots and lots of travel. But right. uh, but it's good. I'm, I'm happy to be busy. And I think all of us feel these are dangerous times. A lot is at stake. And right. uh, we, you know, I'm very honored to have things that I'm able to do that I hope can make some small difference. So I'm glad to do those things.
0: Absolutely. So let's dive into the book specifically. And I want to know why this particular book and why was now the right time to write it?
1: Yeah. Um, My previous kind of major book had been called The Great Spiritual Migration. I think we talked about that uh, in the past. and. Um that was a big project that came out in 2016 and I just after I wrote that I was kind of I you know how you squeeze out a wet uh rag or something <laughs> I I felt like I was a, a little bit tired and I so I, I wasn't eager to jump into another project and sure. then I I got a phone call from a friend who's an editor at Fortress Press and he said um they were uh had this idea for a series of books that somebody who writes about spirituality and theology and ethics and so on would go to a location and just have an experience there and write about it. And then they said, so we were wondering if you'd be interested in going to the Galapagos Islands. And I said, <laughs> can I think about it for two seconds? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, uh, so that's how I uh, ended up doing it. But, um uh, I had been to the Galapagos Islands. You know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime trip, and I'm so blessed that I've been twice. Um, but uh, I went many years ago, and one of my sons was in high school, and it, we uh, took a trip there together. And uh, and then to get a chance to go back and write about it, it was just a dream come true. Uh, it, was, it was even beyond that. It was something I hadn't even... Been up. Yep. What
0: is the overall message that you're wanting to convey to the readers? And we're going to get into some specifics, but if you if you hope that readers take only one thing from the book, what's the one thing that you would like them to take after reading it?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, would you mind if I, I just read a paragraph? Sure, go uh, right ahead. Might answer this? So this is from the afterward of the book, and I wrote near the end of the book, Right now, all around you, historic dramas continue to unfold with plunderers plundering, resistors resisting, and saviors saving the ecosystem around you. That ecosystem was once as pristine as the Galapagos Islands before humans arrived. With less than 20 minutes of internet work, you could find out what species of animals or plants are going extinct in your neighborhood right now. You could learn which local streams and forests that took uncountable thousands of years to develop are in danger of being bulldozed in an afternoon of so-called development. You could join or help form your local version of the Charles Darwin Research Center. Uh, you could become one of the heroes who steps in to help save what is threatened right now with extinction right where you are at and at the very least you could appreciate what remains you can make this wounded world better by loving what's left and and that uh, you know not very many people can go to the galapagos islands it's it's not cheap Um, i think all of us are more careful about travel these days with knowing that you know we don't want to have an unnecessary carbon footprint and on top of that uh, the Galapagos Islands are very tightly protected and only about 250,000 people a year are even allowed to go there. So and that fills up, you know, every year. So uh, but my hope was that by having a vicarious experience, it would help people maybe have a new appreciation for the neighborhood where they live. Because, you sure. know, I, I've traveled all around the world. Every single place I've ever been has its own wonders and uh, and, uh, and it's just so gift to offer. Yeah. Definitely, and I think
0: it it makes me think about. Uh, I heard you say this in a in a in an interview not too long ago, or maybe it was a, a, a sermon. But you talked about the fact that um, you, I I may be misquoting, but I believe you were having a conversation with uh, your grandfather, and he was talking about the fact that um, uh, you know it was. Uh, 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 I've listened to a few different things, so I'm just going to dive in. You can let me know where I'm paraphrasing, but uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. had just been shot and he was glad that they had shot him. And you had said that you were confused because you thought he was, he was good and he was trying to, to do good things and good work. And, and there was this conflict and, and it boiled down, there was a long conversation, but it boiled down to the fact that, you know, we're going to heaven. And so essentially what we're doing on earth is expendable because that's not what we're living for. We're living for what's gone. And so I, I, I want you to unpack that kind of conversation a little bit, but the crux that I'm getting at is the fact that a lot of people do feel that, I guess when your mindset is I'm living for the next level, the next chapter and, and what is happening here isn't important, that really drives a lot of, in my opinion, careless, Thinking and actions. Whereas, if this is what we're living for, we're going to approach a lot of these decisions, like the climate decisions and our carbon footprint and how we treat people, a lot differently. So, if you can kind of walk me through uh, and unpack that conversation and then that
1: line of thinking for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, a lot of us grew up, not everybody, but a lot of us grew up in a kind of uh, uh, Christianity that was all about escaping this world i mm. often call it an evacuation plan yes um the world is hopeless and a ticket to heaven uh, that was very popular it, and let's see if i remember the words this world is not my home i'm just a passing through my home is far away in the land beyond the blue the heavens beckon me through heaven's open door and so i don't feel at home in this world anymore so this idea that yeah we're just passing through um, uh, if I can make a bad comparison, it's like sometimes people get a rental car and they say, well, this isn't my real car, so I won't take good care of it, right? Right, right. right. <laughs> and, and people treat the world, I'm just passing through. Who cares if I leave it polluted? Who cares if I may leave it a worse place? Right. I'm just passing through. Right. And I hate to say it, but there's a theological trajectory for the last several hundred years that treated the world that way. Right. And it created this sort of cocky, selfish, ignorant, but naively ignorant, uh, spirituality that, uh, ju- it's just incredibly irresponsible. Um, you know, uh, Joe, I've got, you know, I've got a few critics and I'm sure I deserve, uh, at least some of them, but one of my critics, uh, he, he is a very famous radio preacher and he said, um, Jesus had nothing to say about conditions of life on earth. He had nothing to say about social injustice. He had nothing to say about making this world oh a better God. place. And I just thought, he and I don't read the same Bible, you right. know. Uh, but there is a long tradition of that sort of thinking. I was brought up thinking sure. that way, so I know where he's coming from. And that's a, that's been a big part of my life's mission, to help people rethink uh, what it means to be spiritual, religious, and specifically Christian, to see that, no, that— The the real message isn't uh, an evacuation plan. It's a transformation plan. It's how how we can join God and join with others in the healing of the world and restoring of the world to what it should be.
0: Absolutely. And kind of on that point, there's a part in your book where you talk about – it's kind of early on about how you talk about – Uh, Oh, hold on one second. Oh, you're prepping for a book. This is about mid 2005 and you're going through various slums and, and rundown neighborhoods uh, specifically in Central America and this part. And, and you're just going through and everybody has televisions and they're watching Walker, Texas Ranger. And you talk about the fact that are we, are we distracting people with this different type of entertainment to where they're no longer focused on, What's in front of them and how to what they need and and how what the land needs and what everyone needs. And instead, they're more focused on what's the next episode of this cowboy that's gonna kick ass and fight injustice kind of a thing. And so walk me through that passage and, and your perspective on that as well.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, uh, Karl Marx said that religion is the opiate of the masses. And what he meant mm. by that is people who are being e- exploited. If you keep telling them, don't worry, you're being exploited now, you'll go to heaven someday. Um, uh, don't don't fight injustice. Now just put up with it. Uh, uh, well, you can see how that's a really nice message for the people who are exploiting them. Sure. Uh, and in fact, in, in the American South, there was a long period where uh, the white slave owners would pay to have preachers who would come in and they would preach. Uh, only they, they would only preach the verses from the Bible that told the slaves to obey their masters, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a way to use religion to just pacify people. But it's not just religion. Um, we can use uh, entertainment to just yeah. pacify people. So uh, or, or video games to just pacify people. Or I hate to say it, but there's, I, I know it's very hard to imagine a, a, a politician who would act <laughs> like a re- reality TV show star, but <laughs> there's a kind of political showmanship yeah. that treats everything as if it's a game right. and keeps people entertained and people go to rallies and they feel all stirred up and so on. Um, and th- this is a way of just keeping people complacent and pacified and, uh, distracted. Uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, someone calls it, uh, religion as a weapon of mass distraction. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of that going on and, and it keeps us from getting in the game and making changes that could happen. Yeah. And look, I'm not a Marxist, but, but the reason Karl Marx said that about religion was because he felt that if oppressed people would get organized and get together, they could actually make their situation better. And he saw how religion, in a sense, kept them from addressing the reality. Well, I worry that uh, about many of our most serious problems today, especially taking care of this beautiful planet Earth, that we've got a thousand ways of distracting people uh, from realizing uh, what could change if we just work together.
0: Right. I know that there's... um... The Onion, if you're familiar, the online news satirical <laughs> site, right? They um they, yes. they they posted something that reminded me of uh, of of a former uh, job that I had, but it talked about it said employee uprising was quelled by free cheese pizza in the break room. <laughs> That's it. And that's like, it. it's, it's hilarious, but it's, it's also accurate in that there are so many times when people are upset or they're grumbling about, you know, uh, having to work through lunch or staying late or whatever. And it's like, Oh, but I, I'm going to get you a free $5 pizza and it's in the break room. And <laughs> now you don't have to, I'm saving you money. I'm saving you money. You're welcome. I'm feeding you and taking you. And, and for yes. a lot of people that's, that's enough. And so when you're talking about being able to pacify people with, with certain things to distract them from what they could be focusing on to improve their situation, I immediately thought of that. And it's funny, but it's also, you know, rings of of truth as well.
1: Well, especially because over the last 500 years especially, huge amounts of wealth have been made for a relatively small number of people, although to some degree all of us have shared in the benefits, but huge amounts of wealth have been extracted at the expense of the earth. Mm So you when we take the coal out and make some money and we all keep our houses warm. But for the rest of history, that mountain will not be there for future generations to enjoy. Right. A forest gets cut down in Brazil so that we can all eat a few hamburgers and uh, we're happy to have our hamburgers. But for the rest of history, that soil will never be returned to what it was. And the the, the mature forest will never come back. Well, if you just keep us all busy, if we just keep ourselves all busy indoors, looking at screens, watching shows, playing games, we never get out to notice. Right. And so, the, you know, people are, quote, making a killing and nobody, uh, nobody even notices. Right.
0: And you talked about um, kind of on the subject of, of being distracted. There's a portion in the book where you're you're on the the trip to the Galapagos, and you've got the you've had this wonderful experience, and then you get into port where there's a little bit of a cell phone signal, and you turn your <laughs> phone on to try and communicate with your wife, and you get sucked right back into the the technology. And you talk about this struggle about you were totally cut off and you were one with nature and you were having this spiritual moment, moments, multiple moments, and then it gets cut yeah. off. And so walk me through, how are people, how were you able to kind of wrestle with, I understand this is a problem. I'm trying to work through it and get on the laptop and having the whole situation where you thought you'd lost your book and it got repaired. And, and how can, how can people kind of, um, I guess, do uh, be able to balance both the yeah. the one with nature, but also the need to have the connection to our technology. What's, what's kind of what, what have you been able to work through on the end of that aspect of that part of the book?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I think that episode shows in the book that it's a struggle for me. I certainly <laughs> don't have it all worked out, but one of the amazing parts of my experience in the Galapagos Islands is that for several days, and I forgot, I think it was four days, <laughs> I, I literally, uh, I, I never even thought of the internet. Like I right. forgot it existed right. because I was so enthralled and not only that, but I realized there was no room in my little, the tiny little room on the boat. I'm sorry. There was no mirror in my room oh, on sure. the boat. And, and I realized, of course, you know, with my hairstyle, this isn't such a big deal, <laughs> but I I couldn't remember the last time I'd gone four or five days without looking in a mirror and didn't even think about it. Right. And, uh, So you realize how many things we become obsessed with. Uh, I I was just in Canada for a few days where I didn't have any American TV stations, so I couldn't catch up on the latest insanity in our politics. And I thought, (laughs) I'm a little bit happier, you know, that I've had a few days to just be a human being rather than a consumer of all this drama. Right. And, and I think what it reminds us is that if we're not careful, our, our, other people set the agenda for what's important in our lives sure. right? right and and we we know for example that teenagers who are constantly checking instagram and so on they're they're more anxious what mm. are people thinking of me it becomes almost an addictive cycle i have right. to know what everybody how many people liked my last post and right. are people forgetting about me and, and and you realize all of us are being sucked into this sort of thing and so it's one of the reasons why i think That we need both what I would call daily, uh, weekly, uh, and annual uh, cycles of withdrawal. So, you know, I I I have a little uh, motto that I try to divert daily, meaning each day I try to make sure I get away from my work, I get away from my desk, I take a walk, I notice the trees, I notice the birds. So I try to divert daily and then i try to withdraw weekly um, you know this is the old ancient idea of a sabbath that there's some time when we unplug now you know a lot of people are like me they have irregular schedules so for me it can't be the same day every week um, but i i try to get away um, each day in fact just this afternoon i was trying to work out where is my sabbath week and i um, and, and then uh, I, I like to try to abandon annually, meaning get away for a week or two where I'm really uh, just disconnect from all this normal uh, uh, stuff. And each of us has to find our own rhythm for what will work. Sure. Uh, you know, if, if one of the interesting things in the Gospels is that Uh, Jesus keeps disappearing. Uh, People can't find him. And it's kind of a where's Waldo situation. (laughs) But he 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 gets up early before anybody else is up and he goes out into the wild. He goes out into the hillside. He goes away from people. And a lot of people get very, you know, pious about this. He's going to pray. And yeah, I'm sure that's right. He was going to pray. But I think part of what he was also doing was withdrawing from all the tentacles of the culture with yeah. all of the social pressures. He didn't have internet to deal with, but we're all entangled in social relationships. Right. And to pull away and ask ourselves, who am I? And how do I relate to the, the, the trees and the wind and the water? And how do I relate to God? And how do I relate to myself? We all need that kind of solitude and withdrawal. It's, it's a, an essential part of spiritual life.
0: Absolutely. And it's, It's so you, you feel that you just feel the uh, kind of almost rejuvenation when you've been able to kind of step away. I know that um, uh, my family and I, we went down to uh, South Texas for a wedding this weekend and, and, and I put my phone on silent uh, and in my pocket as I was driving. And for the first hour of the seven hour drive, I was like, Am I getting work emails? Am I getting notifications? Am I getting this? Am I getting that? But after a while, I just was driving and enjoying the, the nature and enjoying the conversations between my two young ones in the back. And and I was just appreciating. And it was very much living in the moment. And it's not something yes. I often get to do. And it was very, I felt refreshed at the end of the 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 trip and or the car trip and it was just it was something that I didn't think about and I also of course brought your book on the on the trip and finished it and it was uh, it was you kind of speaking to the, the 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 withdrawing and the the being in the moment and the being one with nature and taking trips away that really equated the two for me in a way that I hadn't kind of made connected those dots in my head it was very good
1: well, that's that's encouraging here. You, you make me think of uh, something I heard sometime in the last year. I can't even remember where exactly, but apparently somebody did a psychological study and said that uh, and they were praising the virtues of monotasking. You know, we we often talk about multitasking, <laughs> but they, they said apparently people who monotask are actually happier. Mm. And and I remember, in fact, I know I think I heard that on, on NPR. <laughs> and so I was driving and I thought, I'm going to turn off the radio and I'm just going to be a driver for the next little while. And I remember after five or 10 minutes, just, I was noticing what was happening in the world. I was remembering, it's kind of cool. I remember when I was 14 (laughs) and I couldn't wait to be 16 to be able to drive. And I thought, well, I can drive, <laughs> and there is really this wonderful gift that comes from monotasking and actually noticing and enjoying what we're doing. Right. Just this morning, I, I uh, was one of those mornings where I I was going to be at my desk from morning till now, and uh, so I made sure I I got up and and walked uh, t- took a walk and uh, was outdoors and uh, just no no responsibility except to be there to walk and to notice mm-hmm. see what I notice and. Boy, it's good for the soul.
0: It is very much. And you talk about in your book, uh, I I forget which island you're on, but there's there's a portion where you're in the island and you talk about that – the tortoises are, are are the turtles are, are moving a, a, as if you're not even there, right? It's like you're you're yeah. a visitor on their land, and and it's so interesting because there's so many times where animals will react to people and 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 understand that you know we're we're the the alpha in the environment, and then and to have a situation where there's a whole species of animals that are just ig- ignoring you as a, as a human. What was that like to be there and just to really see the totally <laughs> yes. different ecosystem and and way of life that humans are not typically involved in?
1: Yes, well, yeah, this is one of the things that's so magical about the Galapagos Islands, um, because no human being uh, has ever set, ever set foot on the islands until you know a couple hundred years ago, with when uh, the explorers were going around in, in their ships from Europe. These islands had been completely – they evolved and developed. They arose out of the sea, literally, from volcanoes. And then one by one, different species would be brought there by ocean currents or blown there through the wind or whatever. And so this whole ecosystem developed that never had any contact with humans. And not only that, but there are very few land predators there. Mm -hmm. And so all animals of a certain size have absolutely nothing to fear. And so they've evolved – without, uh, if you know anything about natural selection, they weren't selected for anxiety and fear. (laughs) So they're they're peaceful. And uh, so, you know, you're, you're one of the things on the trip I did is we did a lot of snorkeling and you're snorkeling along and a sea lion comes up and he doesn't see you as a threat. He's just curious. And, you know, to have a little sea lion, pop up and stick his nose right in your mask and make eye contact with you and just think you look interesting let's play you know it's it's just uh it's just delightful um or uh, i i tell at the end of uh, my trip i was sitting in a little cafe at the airport and a ground dove which is kind of a beautiful like a little miniature pigeon but very beautiful colors uh it, it comes and, sit and starts walking across the table and literally is, you know, six inches from my hand and it's picking up breadcrumbs and stuff on the table. And I just thought there's something about this that when the animals aren't afraid of us, it reminds us we're all part of the same ecosystem. We're all connected. And, right. and I think there's, I, I think that's why we have pets. You know, yeah. it's why we have house houseplants. It's right. because something in us craves, connection with our fellow creatures because yeah. we're all we're all part of one planet and we're all part of one family tree you know right. we all are related if you go back far enough right
0: and it's uh it's interesting i saw a uh, museum exhibit at the perot museum here in dallas called origins where they had discovered two um uh, skeletons of uh, different uh, uh, i don 't remember the jargon, but it's uh, they it's different uh, in the same way that there's Neanderthal and there's it's different uh, human subspecies coming up yes. and, and yep. so yep. and and what was really fascinating one was several me- millions of years old, and one was as recent as a couple hundred thousand years ago, and uh, they were yes. able to date it back and they talked about how in uh, one of, they were found in Africa in these caves, uh, or one of them the more recent one, and they talked about how It was fast south africa and it was fascinating because up until a certain point they did not believe there were any other um i don't know if it's called species or 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 what but of anything other than uh um of homo sapien in africa yeah yeah. and now they know that that's not true there was at least one more and so then yes. they they got into this discussion about how they thought you know uh, the idea of evolution evolved from like the the typical like walking uh, graph that you see or a straight line or a tree or whatever yes. and they said now we're we're realizing that much like all the other animals, it's more of like yes. vines coming down and some intersect yes. and some yes. don't, and some come back around and and some have different uh you know there's just all kinds of things, and it's interconnected and interwoven, and they said. It's so much more vast and, and expansive than we ever thought. And we're having to change the way in which we're thinking about evolution and the development of, of the the individual, the human, as, as we are today. Yes. And it made me think about, you know, and then they talked about how that's true with animals. And we know more about animals, but we're still learning more and more and more. And it's just when you start breaking it down in that way, yes. it's so abundantly fascinating how yeah. much we are connected to The Earth in which we live, and 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 even to that point, it's it's more fascinating. I I think about the way in which I grew up in in a kind of uh, you know fundamentalist uh, Christian background with with uh, you know it's either uh, creationism or evolution. It can't be both, and 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 evolution's the devil and all this kind of stuff. And it's when you look at these things and you go there, there's. You can't refute this this evidence, and and it's even to me more beautiful when you embrace it and learn more, and so and just reading your book and I was reading the book and going to the museum exhibit and it was it was very good for my soul. It was a good weekend, and yeah. so uh-huh. and so walk me through kind of your thoughts about because I know that you you also touched on how. You grew up, and it was very this or that, uh, and you were somebody that was very, yeah. uh, you know, into nature and wanted to explore it and learn more about it. And so, walk me through uh, your growing up and your your struggles and 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 coming to grips with uh, yeah. science and evolution and and all of that.
1: Well, l- let me just step back a little bit sure. uh, first and say uh, something that we take for granted is that if we were to go back uh, to the late fourteen hundreds, early fifteen hundreds, there's this guy named copernicus and copernicus makes this radical solution a radical proposal that the earth is not the center of the universe with the sun and the moon and the stars orbiting the earth but rather the sun is in the center and the moon and the planets go around the sun and the you know it's this more complicated (laughs) worldview well all these religious leaders said copernicus is wrong um, because the Bible says that the sun rises. It doesn't say that the earth moves, you know. Right, right. And, and uh, they find a Bible verse that says the earth shall not be moved. And so they say, see, this couldn't be true. And um, uh, a lot of Protestants will have heard of uh, 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 John Calvin. John Calvin mocks Copernicus. He calls him this upstart. And um, and then uh, so that idea is suppressed. And then it's like 100 years later and Galileo comes along and he, by then, they've invented I- improved telescopes, and he's up on his roof, and he, he takes this telescope that he's built, looks up, and he sees the moons orbiting Jupiter, and as soon as he sees that, he realizes Copernicus was right. There's no doubt. I The world isn't, the universe isn't structured the way we thought. Once again, the church made threats against him. In fact, another uh, uh, religious leader named Bruno, who accepted these ideas, was actually burned at the stake. So... Um, there's a long history of religion uh, looking at science as a threat, and and many you and I were both born in strains of Christianity that looked at Charles Darwin the same way that uh, Copernicus, Copernicus and Galileo had been looked at. Um, but in my experience, uh, I, I'll just have to say, uh, to me, the God who creates through evolution, the God who creates a, has a universe that that unfolds and develops and has inherent creativity built right into it that is a way better god than mm-hmm. you know uh than the sort of mechanistic god that i, I was given as Great. a uh, as a child who did it in six literal days like that was supposed to be more impressive are you kidding it's way more impressive <laughs> to think of the, the amazing uh, processes of natural selection and so on. And, and now because the evidence is just so, uh, you know, overwhelming, um, uh, what I think is happening now that's so exciting is we have what, instead of theologians who are arguing against evolution, we have theologians who are reflecting on evolution and Mm -hmm. say, what does evolution teach us about whatever God must be? And, and what does it teach us about ourselves? And, and our past and present and future, and we place ourselves in this world, and it, it's revolutionary, and it is exciting. And but I understand it's disturbing to some people because they were taught it has to be this way. Right. The religious leaders taught them that, and um you know it, we've got enough distance now that we can say, yeah, the religious leaders were wrong about Copernicus and Galileo. Um, We still have some people who aren't willing to say that about about poor Charles Darwin, who it turns out was a super nice guy. And uh, I wrote, as you know, I wrote a couple chapters about him in the book and such an interesting person. Do you think
0: that there is a way forward for people who are still quick or not quick, but still hesitant to fully embrace his teachings?
1: Well, I think um, you're an example. I'm an example. Uh, You know, it's happening all the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, um, podcasts are playing a really big role in this. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not kidding. Around the world. Um, I just met some people who started a new podcast uh, only dealing with issues of doubt and, mm-hmm. you know, religious doubt. And, you know, they've got people around the world, country, you know, India, uh, all around the world who are contacting them and saying, I listen to your podcast every week. And. And so and I think what's happening is people get, you know, in the privacy of your car driving down the road, you're listening. Somebody's listening to your podcast. Right. And you you and your guests are having conversations and they get to be part of conversations they never would have been able to be part of before. So right. it, it, it's changing. But at the same time, you know, there are other people who are doubling down. And I, I'm just amazed to think that I'm 63 years old. And that there are people who are being told the same stuff in 2019, yeah. you know, that I was being told in 1961 or 1965. It's kind of hard to believe, but it's still happening.
0: It's, it's crazy. And it's, it's, in my opinion, it's very, and I, and I get that I, I've grown beyond where I started and I've, uh, for lack of a better word, evolved and, um, and, 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 and have really been able to approach both my life and the world in a very different mindset than I ever would have before. And so when I am reminded of these same teachings and views and it's quite jarring to me in a way in which it wouldn't have been 15 years or so ago. And, and, yeah. I, and, and it allows me to check myself and realize that there's still work to be done.
1: Yes, yes. Uh... Yes, exactly right. Uh, a few years ago, uh, I had these two guys contact me and they started listening reading some of my books and uh, l- listened to a couple of talks they found online and And they grew up in exactly the kind of fundamentalist setting that I grew up in and i, I and I realized they were hearing exactly what I heard, you know forty five, fifty years ago and it and it, in a way, it was so good for me when they came to talk to me because I realized, there are people today who are exactly where I was when I turned 14 and started asking my first questions. Right. And, and that's happening around the world. And it's not just in Christianity. It's uh, I have a, a friend who's Hindu. And when he was a little boy, just like Christians are given uh, Bible story books, you know, illustrated yep. Bible story yep. books. Hindu kids are he, he had an illustrated Bhagavad Gita book. <laughs> and, awesome. uh, and there was a picture of Krishna and Krishna was blue and it turns out mm-hmm. in you know in, in a lot of hindu art gods are uh, they are painted blue or right. the, their color is blue that's right. just like in a lot of christian art uh, saints have halos over their sure. head right yeah. and and so he says to his mother was was krishna really blue and she said don't ask questions of course <laughs> just believe what you're told <laughs> and, and so you know let me see yeah. some hindu kids have the same struggles right, it's right. a human human um, and you know, in my travel these days, the most common question I'm asked now is by young adults with children who say, "What do I do with my kids? Yeah. I, I want my kids to get a spiritual upbringing, but I don't want to subject them to you know places where women are treated as inferior, or where there's you know prejudice, and and, and, and where there's a, 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 a you know resistance to science, as if science is the is the enemy,
0: right?" I could go on and on and on about that part, but I want to, I'll, I'll put it on the back burner for now, but I, uh, I want you to talk a lot about the ichthyologist portion of your book where <laughs> where, <laughs> where you get invited to this society where you go uh, and you're at the Yellowstone National Park and in the mornings you discuss theology and then in the afternoon to evening you're fishing. And you, what I love about that portion of the book and that specifically is you talk about you're fishing for the connection. And there's something about yeah. the connection of catching it and like, yes, you're like catching and releasing, but you're not just, just catching to catch and release. It's more of something's happening when you're yeah. setting out to do a task and then completing it. And there's this feeling that wells up inside of you and you equated it to, uh, you know, an artist or uh, somebody or a photographer, somebody that's setting yeah. out to, to capture something. And that spoke to me as, as an artist and also, you know, as a podcaster, but but as somebody who's yeah. trying to capture a moment and then I can look back on it and, and I, I have that feeling. And so I really want you to kind of walk me through that portion of the book and that feeling and how that is inherently spiritual.
1: Yes. I, actually, can I just read maybe that? Yes, absolutely. I just found that paragraph. Okay. The, the truth is that I don't actually fish just for sport as a fishing or a competition that involved me winning over the fish or over other fishermen, although sometimes that element is certainly <laughs> present. Nor do I fish simply to catch and release. No, I fish for the sense of connection, to know the fish by feeling its power, its resistance, its strength, its aliveness. I imagine that photographers feel something similar when they catch a moment. And so do sculptors and songwriters and poets and filmmakers. We take a photo. We capture something in sculpture or words or music or film. Even cooks, I imagine, feel... They're connecting with the power of spices and vegetables and fruits and other elements of their recipes, knowing the ingredients, catching their inner power, and then releasing it for others to savor. Whether we consume that power by literally eating it or we take it in figuratively, we're making a connection. And in that connection, there is a kind of holy communion, infusion, impartation, even transubstantiation, if you will. And and I I think... You know, that's what is going on in so many of our activities. I I mean, I don't want to get too explicit here, but even, you know, you think this is what sex is about. It's about people making a connection. It's about it's it's about deep, deep connection. And and uh, it's what conversation is about it. So when, when we feel, oh, my ideas and my curiosity touched your ideas and your curiosity touched my feelings and and we make this connection. It's what it's what life is about, you know. It's yeah. what life is about. It's a difference between, uh, uh, it's it's the difference between being alive and being dead. When yeah. you're alive, you're in constant connection and interaction and giving and receiving.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, before we transition to the last segment of the show, uh, one last question I have for you is how is it that one can be more, in my opinion, more spiritual out in the wild versus in a, in a quote-unquote church or maybe just a building right, with walls boarded up? Mm-hmm. And how can, how can one live in that existence wherever they are, whether it's in the church or whether yes. it's in the wild or whether it's walking to and fro?
1: You know, the, the wonderful Southern uh, Roman Catholic novelist Lannery O'Connor many years ago said something like this. The, the reason we go to church And partake in a sacrament. And, you know, and and for a Catholic, the main sacrament is to see Christ in bread and wine to to, in some sense, make a connection with Christ through and, and, and with God through bread and wine. She says the reason we do that in one building is so that we can walk out and then begin to see God in everything. The purpose of one sacrament is to help us see the entire world sacramentally. Sure. We practice it in one place so we can do it every place. And and so in the best way, um, what we do in buildings then enhances what happens when we go out into the world. And then what we ha- what happens when we go out in the world, when we come together in a building somewhere, if that's what we do, we have so much to reflect on. We have so much to, to be thankful for. Um, and uh, and And we bring so much you know to the community as we share our ex- experiences and so on. Uh, so to me, this is the way it really ideally is is supposed to work. Unfortunately, what happens is that religion becomes a little bit like a, a an end in itself, you know, and people act as if the purpose of of life is to get into that building for an hour every week, and that's what matters most when right. I really think, uh, thinkers and leaders in the Christian faith was a guy named Irenaeus. And he got this. He said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Right. And I think I think he got it. And, and it's the same thing. You know, Jesus even said something about this. He said, um, I have come. He didn't say, I've come to make people more religious so they'll <laughs> go to the temple more and, you know, have, be more uptight and right. more judgmental. Um, but he said, no, I've come so that people will... Have life to the full, and uh, that I think is is what it's really about, and and that's what was so much fun about, you know, taking eight days away, going down to the Galapagos Islands from morning to night, having no agenda except to enjoy being alive and enjoy this beautiful creation, Absolutely. and uh, and that helps me go back and do that from day to day, and all the other three hundred and fifty seven days when I'm not doing
0: that. Right. Absolutely. Well, Brian, thanks so much. And now we're going to transition to uh, my favorite part of the episode, the dad joke of the week. That is where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting (laughs) guests and try and get them to laugh while the audience groans, but I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guests. So it works out. But Brian, as you know, I always like to let the guests start out first. Brian, do you have any dad jokes you'd like to offer up?
1: Oh my gosh! I don't accept that. I—I mean, I am the dad joke. I'll offer up to say that I was found myself uh, walking around my neighborhood with sandals and black socks the other day. I I mean, that is so humiliating. That's you know, like the the dad cliche of of all time. But um, anyway, that's awesome. What happens when you get dressed in, in, in the dark?
0: Right. All right. Well, Brian, I've got a couple for you. So, uh, uh Brian, uh, what do you get when you cross a turtle with a porcupine? Uh, no idea. A slow poke, slow poke. Uh, oh, <laughs> uh, oh, yes. Uh,
1: Oh, Brian. <laughs> I hope I somebody's laughing cause I'm only groaning. <laughs> right. Right.
0: Right. All right. Um, uh, here we go. So, Brian, I wanted to let you know that my wife and I went to a turtle pun class yesterday, and uh, it tore us nothing. It tore us nothing. Uh, yep, yep. yep. Uh, These are all turtle-themed. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and uh, I got uh, one last one. Last one, last one. <laughs> uh, Brian, why do the Ninja Turtles make terrible office coworkers? Why do the Ninja make terrible workers I don't know. Uh, they, always the they always destroy the Shredder. They always destroy the Shredder.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's uh, it. That's uh, it. Uh, All right. Okay. So on that theme, um, I'm sure you know why the turtle crossed the road. I don't. You know, to get to the Shell Station.
0: Very nice. Very nice. I like it. Well, Brian, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to and purchase the book, of course, we're going to put it in the show notes. But what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Well, they can uh, get in touch with me or keep up with what I'm doing at brianmclaren.net, B-R-I-A-N-M-C-L-A-R-E-N.net. And there's there's links there to my social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and so on. Uh, and links there to all my books and where people can buy them. I also have a, a children's book that some folks might be interested in uh, for their kids and uh, some free and, and uh, very inexpensive ebooks that might be of interest to people. So lots of resources there.
0: Very nice. Well, Brian, we need a hashtag for this episode. Should we go with hashtag Galapagos Islands? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hashtag
1: Galapagos is good.
0: All right. Perfect. Uh, Well, listeners, uh, until next time, uh, we're going to have great content coming up next week. Brian, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, Until next time, uh, hashtag Galapagos and hashtag Be a Better Dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, Be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds, and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit VocalNow.com. That's v-o-k-a-l now.com.